Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into an afternoon edition of Wednesday's edition of Underground Sports Philadelphia. Episode number 492, KB and Matt coming at you from Underground Studios. We got a lot to dive into. The holidays are here. We'll get into our Philly sports uh, holiday wish list for this episode towards the end of the show. We're going to talk all about, uh, you know, the Eagles big matchup. On Saturday, Christmas Eve against the Dallas Cowboys. Will Jalen Hurts play? Will he not play? What does it all mean? Uh, and of course, we'll get into uh, some more MLB free agency talk. We have a poll out on our Twitter right now. Uh, so go check that out to uh, kind of gauge your your thoughts on a Philadelphia Phillies rival. We'll talk a little Sixers. Uh, no Survivor Talk this week. We're going to save the finale for next week. Uh, Matt hasn't gotten around to it. I've gotten through most of it, so uh, we're going to save everything for next week. But season 44 is March 1st. That's what we do know. That is confirmed. So uh, that's exciting. So we're a little less than two months away from another season of Survivor. But before we get started, make sure you guys are following us on the socials at Underground PHI, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash Underground Sports PHI. Uh, and of course, if you're watching live every Wednesday, it's twitch.tv slash underground sports PHI. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castorina. Follow me at KBIZZL311. Subscribe to the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, all we want for the holidays this year is for you to subscribe to the pod. So go subscribe, leave a five star review. It really helps the show continue to grow, helps us get on those charts, helps more people find out who the underground nation really is. Uh, so go subscribe, leave a five-star review, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel as well. That's where we're really pushing some big-time subscribers. Uh, YouTube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. We're currently at 331. Our goal by the end of 2022 is to get to 350. So we're 19 away. Uh, be a friend, tell a friend, subscribe to the YouTube channel, smash that like button, ring the bell icon, comment down below on everything uh, Matt and I talk about on this episode or anything Philly sports that comes to mind. Leave it in the comment section below. Big shout out to our sponsors who make this show happen. Main Auto LLC, Security 21 Security Systems, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. Matt, what's going on, man? Living the dream living the dream we are everyone had a bit of a nightmare which we have deduced is technically a dream on this show uh when adam Schefter broke the news about jalen hurts being injured injured his shoulder against the chicago bears in a uh play that on twitter has been dubbed the uh pick me the fuck up play uh as jordan mylotta described it sprained shoulder so it's not you know 
Luckily, it's not his collarbone or anything like that. They're playing it day by day to see if he's going to suit up on Saturday or not. Allegedly, there's a chance for him to play. I don't see him playing in this one. And who doesn't love a good backup quarterback story on Christmas Eve? How you doing, Jeff Garcia? Uh, but not ideal news, but it it it's better than what it could have been. I will say uh, shades of 2017 uh, being... <sighs> being shown here i believe that was also a shoulder injury so uh yeah Wentz was the acl and he had the shoulder and i don't know i don't know (laughs) um i will say i think probably don't see him for the rest of the regular season just because frankly there's there's what risk is there um what's what's what is the reward versus risk situation here where you know it seems like he might if it they really needed him to play. He could, but knowing that he probably just have to win one more game the rest of the way to, to wrap up the one seed. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I would be kind of surprised to see him rolled out there. If this just seems like an injury that just needs a little bit of rest and time, um, I, I think I'd be shocked. And I, I don't think Gardner Minshew is the worst backup, too. I think as far as backup quarterbacks go, he's capable. This is an offense, too, that I, I think you can – Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. I, I, don't, I don't mean to diminish his ability, but I also think this is an offense in which you can plug someone in. And, it, you know, like Micah Parsons said, there is there is a little bit of system quarterback at play here, though, you know, right? Where I think the pieces around him, you have a good offensive line, you have good offensive weapons. Um, you know, I, I trust that Gardner Minshew can, can pull, you know, the strings well enough that this team is still competitive, even with him at the helm. And I, I just think, you know, do you really want to risk Jalen Hurts getting folded on a bad play and really damaging the shoulder and, and, and you know, the playoffs really being down? Because that's obviously where I think this team's priority should be. Yeah, I don't think we see him this week, and especially if you win, like, who knows? I, I do kind of buy into the the kind of devil's advocate theory. Like, if he doesn't play this week, but the Eagles end up winning, you still kind of want to see him potentially before the playoffs just to make sure he's sharp and you know making sure the shoulder's okay in a game scenario um they did say that you know people close to the the injury sourcing and everything said it's a 10 to 14 day recovery window uh for what he's dealing with the saints game puts him at 13 days uh which is on new year's day so if if I'm the Eagles, I'm potentially playing him for a little bit in that game. If he's good, obviously, that's a that's a big part of it. Um, just to make sure that like he's staying sharp, especially knowing that if you do lock up the one seed, do you really want Jalen Hurts out for a month, essentially, uh, for for not playing games because you're not going to have you know those those three games the rest of the way if he doesn't play, and then you have the bye week. So to have your quarterback on ice for kind of a month. There's, there's good and evil with that, I would say. You know, you, you get him rested and he's as close to 100% as possible. But then there's also, you know, the chance that you run that risk of he hasn't been in a game scenario. How much rust does that put on the tires? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, w- I would just be surprised given, again, he it seems like he kind of got away with just a minor injury in this situation. And it feels like the type of injury that, you know, shoulder injuries with quarterbacks – it feels like are, are very easy to be, uh, you know, re-injured or re-aggravated. It's not like a hamstring, right, where it's like 
you never really know when to trust it and it can take away your explosiveness and it is his throwing shoulder and it is throwing arm. So that's, that's obviously a risk, but um, I would just be surprised if, you know, <laughs> I would be surprised, you know, again, you, like you said, you, you get to the Saints game and maybe he's still feeling a little bit out of it. And then, you know, then you have like, what is really just a game that probably means absolutely nothing for the Eagles and may even mean nothing for the Giants at this rate too, you know, depending on the rest of the season, maybe it'd just be locked into the seventh seed at that point. Um, maybe you see him for like a quarter, you know, like maybe, maybe you see something like that just to just get him the reps. But then again, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I think, I think sometimes we get a little too locked in on the rest versus rhythm debate and what, you know, what's good, what's bad, you know, I'll tell you this, Jalen Hurts didn't play a, a real competitive game of football for a, a long time uh, coming into September and looked great against the Lions week. But, you know, like, it's just, where do you draw that line between, and I, I don't know that there's a right answer. I, I don't feel strongly either way. I just think sometimes it's very easy to say, like, ah, oh, they need to be out there playing every week. It's also like, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I think I think he could do some good probably with, with maybe a week or two of rest. And, yeah, yeah, I don't know where, where that line is, honestly. And obviously it's a different sport, but I do think we have recency bias with watching the Phillies and them not having rest and kind of just, you know, going on this roller coaster ride to the World Series of, of just playing games continuously. And you look at the teams who did get that rest and were eliminated almost immediately. So I think there is that recency bias with a lot of fans in terms of just watching their team like go on a run without having to rest. Um, and obviously, like I said, it's a completely different sport, so it's it's not really the same kind of momentum type of situation. But I mean, I I we've seen Gardner Minshew in this offense when he's like had to actually play, not like what we saw against Chicago, not like what we saw in some other games where he's just kind of tapped in. And like, not that this is like the most ideal of situations, and it sucks that we we lost a, a legend of the sport in Mike Leach. But that's where Gardner Minshew was yesterday. He was delivering a eulogy at Mike Leach's funeral. He's going to have some motivation if he does play in this game to really like go out and ball because he just lost one of the most important influences in his entire football career in one of his college coaches. I mean, it, it's it's a weird thing to say, but like that's going to motivate him if he's playing because he's going to want to you know go out and put on a show. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely can't discount that. I, I think too, you know, like. Gardner Minshew is someone that's playing with the hopes still, I'm sure, of being a, a starting quarterback somewhere. Although I don't know if he's been taking hammers to his own hand lately. <laughs> I, but, you know, I, I think there's always a motivation for the backup to do well because, you know, you could land yourself uh, in an even better situation where you get like a long-term contract somewhere with a little bit better pay if you perform. You know, if you do well in these last two, three weeks as a stand-in, you know, you're guaranteeing yourself longer shelf life in the league, which is ultimately, I think everyone's goal is, is to just, you know, make it another two or three years, um, you know, in the backup quarterback position too, is, is a lot of just reputation. You know, you may not actually perform well, but if the, if your reputation, which I think Gardner Minshew does have of being like this kind of like scrappy stand in guy that can win you games, you know, you want to kind of keep that, uh, that same, that same vibe going. I think too, you know, you go into a, a Cowboys game where, um, they don't have a ton of motivation. Yeah, I, I think, largely speaking, you know, they're, they're actually both these teams don't have a ton in this game. Funnily enough, despite how good both have been this year, um, the Cowboys—it's a real like, you know, they're sort of just locked into this fifth seed. They they can't drop any further, surely. And um, I'm not even sure how feasible the division is at this point. I think just 
you know, like less than 1% chance. Like it's just, it's, it's just a lottery ticket. It's not going to happen. And I, I think too, we've seen this Cowboys team, you know, give up the ghost a few times, you know, and, and you know, I, I just, I don't know that I, I fully believe in them. Um, and then, yeah, for the Eagles, I mean, not that they're going to shut it down, but I, I think there's a little bit of, of cruise control mentality. I think you saw a little bit of that in, uh, in the game against the bears, right. Where I would not say that was the, that was that the Eagles from the previous two weeks that was really able to just like slam it down on their opponent. Uh, every week's different, especially in the NFL, you have a lot of unique challenges based on who you're playing, but, I just think personally, like, I, I, I don't think there's as much in this game as maybe we'd want there to be either. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that are quote-unquote in this game for the Eagles, especially, it's you lock up the one seed, you win the division in Dallas on Christmas Eve, which is very fun. And then the other, like, kind of, you know, semantics, you know, nice little thing for the history books is, the next game the Eagles win, it's the most wins the Eagles as a franchise have ever had in franchise history uh, for a team that's been around since 1933. That's pretty damn impressive for a second-year head coach in Nick Sirianni as well. Um, so there is that to play for, and that'd be very funny to get against this Cowboys team who's been worried about this Eagles team for the last two weeks now. Uh, and that was proven on Sunday when you know Dak Prescott once again threw the game away, literally. Uh, against the Jaguars. Did you see uh, Jacksonville? Doug Peterson uh, got all the uh, the cheesesteak caterings done down in Jacksonville after the win. Uh, I forget who it was. I'm going to pull it up. I think Alex Coffey wrote about it for the Inquirer, but Dougie P treated the entire Jaguars coaching staff to cheesesteaks after the win against Dallas. Uh, that's great. You love to see it. Uh, Jaguars, too, have like an outside, outside chance, too. You know, like that, that win really boost their at least chances at uh, potentially making the playoffs and they've turned it around this season they, they didn't start out the best but uh, especially the last few weeks I think I've been involved in not just a lot of great games a lot of great wins too so it, it feels like maybe they're turning a corner in a way um, I think the Eagles should maybe be a little happy that they played them uh, early in the season although early in the season too they started off hot uh, then sort of uh, leveled out and, and have now kind of had a little bit of a resurgence so yeah, I, I think um, again. I, I just feel like you know the, the Cowboys. They they've had these these issues offensively too. Um, you know that they, they have not been. It hasn't looked as smooth as maybe you'd like for the Cowboys. You know, and you think about it too. This is a team. You know, they have talented position players. I, I don't want to make it seem like they don't have talent because they do. But I, I think it's not as talented as maybe you might think. It's Ceedee Lamb and then just. Tony Pollard and Zeke and Zeke is not obviously at his, his best, but it's still like a, you know, a guy at the goal line, especially that, that has a way to get to the end zone. Like outside of that, I, I don't think this team has a lot of like offensive firepower. I think they're, they're limited in fact, in some ways. So that'd be something I'd think about, especially for this matchup and for the playoffs that I don't think this is the Cowboys offense that we saw maybe in the, in the last few years, that was a little bit more of a buzzsaw. This is um, definitely a dangerous offense, but I, I think actually the Eagles are probably the better offense. Yeah, I think can can hurt you in just different ways, and uh, especially have like probably the, the the receiver matchup that you'd want for sure. But outside of that too, I think Eagles are probably the better offensive group. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Jeff Harris, who is the owner of a popular Jacksonville-based Philly's finest uh, Philadelphia-themed restaurant that specializes in cheesesteaks, told Jaguar Report, uh, which is Sports Illustrated's uh, Jaguars. 
website on Tuesday that a member of the Eagles organization personally called the store and asked to buy Doug Peterson and the coaching staff lunch. You love to see it. Philadelphia legend, Doug Peterson. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you on your, on your take about the Cowboys versus the Eagles offense. Like that's what happens when you trade Amari Cooper for pennies on the dollar to the Cleveland Browns. Like the, the number one Eagles killer over the last, you know, however long Amari was with the Cowboys, no longer there. CD lamb has been, you know, up and down in his career against the cow uh, against the Eagles, uh, you know, from the jump, like, you know, there's big moments that he's kind of felt fallen flat. Uh, Noah Brown is the reason that they lost to the Jaguars because he couldn't, you know, go and make that catch that was inevitably intercepted. Um, and Dak has been very bad since he came back. Like there's no way to dance around that. Like Dak Prescott has not been a good quarterback this year. Is he good for his career? Sure. Like he's had good moments, but like this year he has been very mediocre. LaShawn McCoy said it, uh, on FS1. He said, <laughs> flat out said, Dak is ass. Uh, you know, like Dak Prescott has been very underwhelming this year. And I don't know if it's because he's still got, you know, lingering effects from that thumb injury that he suffered in week one against the Buccaneers, which would make a ton of sense. Um, but Dak's thrown like the most, I think it's the most interceptions since he came back in the NFL. Like he's got like nine or 10 interceptions in seven or eight games. Like he has not been very impressive this year. And the fact that Jerry Jones is going out there and, and touting that Dak played a fantastic game against the Jaguars is just flat out hilarious to me and just shows like how like blind that organization is when it comes to actually winning. Like Dak has, has underwhelmed and you know, you have an Eagles team who has motivation to kind of just get two weeks of rest for the most part. If they go out there and, you know, put the pressure on Dak, like he's faced all year. I'm not that terrified of this Cowboys team. Yeah. I, I forget where I, if I read or heard this, but uh, Dak is a very high, like tight window rate. Like the the tight windows that he's throwing into this year, I think are the highest in the league. And I think part of that too is you know you've lost Amari Cooper, which is still a little bit of a head scratcher, uh, you know, in terms of. And part of it too, you know, they Michael Gallup. I don't think like you know coming back is healthy, and, and you know I think he, I think you know in the off season they're planning to have Michael Gallup probably a little more healthy and a little more available this year earlier. Um, you know, and I, I think he's obviously a key part of the offense that just hasn't, you know, been able to, to stay out there enough and kind of be a little bit of that field stretcher, right? Um, but yeah, they, they don't have that ability to make separation. Now, whether that's a talent or a scheme issue, I don't know, but that has not been the case through like Dak's career so far. You know, like the, the interception thing is, you know, out of character for him, uh, generally speaking. So yeah, I, I think there's just some like structural issues, you know, with just like the offense. And again, I think that's where, you know, sometimes with the Cowboys, you know, Tony Pollard is able to make these big plays. Like I think he's in some ways their their biggest threat because, you know, I there, there's very few players in the league that I think could turn a sixty yard touchdown. You know, like it's just not an easy thing to do. It's not a regular thing. Tony Pollard is just one of those guys, and you know. But outside of that, I I would say just it all feels a little bit hard. You know, it just it feels feels like everything that should be easy is just a little more challenging with this Cowboys offense, and that's not the case with the Eagles. The Eagles, you you watch the Eagles, and I just think in general when you watch the offense play. Everything seems very smooth, and it seems, and that's why I'm not as worried with Gardner Minshew because I, I do think just the system itself is very good. And Jalen Hurts is thriving in that system, you know, like, and I think it's been built to his needs and his strengths and his weaknesses. Um, you know, if you're talking about MVP, you know, he's he's certainly deserving of that because of his play and his performance. Um, but you know, like, I, I do also think that this is a system that you can 
put a quarterback that is just competent, like Gardner Minshew, and he's still going to be able to, you know, have an average to above average type of game for an NFL quarterback. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, it, it helps that again, kind of like Jalen Hurts now having back to back years in the same system. Gardner Minshew's been in this system since Nick Sirianni got here, knows the system uh, that they're running on offense, and he's got better players around him now than he did last year when he was stepping in. Uh, you know, he's going to be able to throw to A.J. Brown, who he was watching do damage against his Jaguars when A.J. was with the Titans. You know, he's going to have Devontae Smith a little bit more open than normal uh, compared to last year because A.J. Brown's on that opposite side. Oh, and let's not forget, Dallas Goddard is back this week. That's massive. Yeah, Dallas got to be back too. Is, uh, is definitely going to be a big help, and you know you have him available for the end of the season out to the playoffs. Like it's it's a good time of year to be getting healthy again. And I mean, if you're going to have to play your backup quarterback, what better way to have a tight end that was on pace to have like over a thousand receiving yards, have a safety blanket, you know, in the middle of the field? And when you look at the Eagles' offense, like I think that's kind of been one thing that's been missing a little bit, even though they've been steamrolling teams outside of, you know, last week against the Bears, like, they've been steamrolling the Packers, the Titans, and, and teams like that that they should be beating, and the Giants, of course, without kind of having that middle-of-the-field threat that they have with Dallas Goddard to kind of move the ball, get those tough yards in the passing game. They've kind of had to go to this, you know, vertical type of, uh, you know, offense and get the ball downfield to Devontae, to A.J. Brown, and that only gets elevated when you have that middle-of-the-field threat. So to have that back with Dallas Goddard, give Gardner Minshew a little bit more of a safety blanket underneath if he is going to be playing. I think that only helps the Eagles' chances of winning this game on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting game, too, because the Cowboys' defense hasn't looked as strong as it, it did, you know, maybe uh, a month and a half ago. Uh, you don't really feel like this was a, a defense that was really just, like, demolishing teams and, and taking away so much joy. But the past few weeks especially, it has not really been that case for them. Um no, they've played some good offenses in that time, and I think it's going to be another challenge. But, you know, again, I just think they've they've sort of underwhelmed a bit at times, uh, the Cowboys have. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked to, to necessarily see that happen. And, you know, I, th- I think, too, you know, so much of it is going to come down to diminish you playing under pressure because we know that there is going to be – as good as the offensive line for the Eagles is, there, there is going to be that pressure that you face uh, by this, this Cowboys defensive line and, and pass rush that you get. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence has been really good at that this year. That's been one of his strengths as a professional player has been how he handles under pressure. And you hear this a lot, but sacks are, are largely a quarterback stat. Um, you know, your awareness in the pocket and your ability to, to make the right reads, you know, really impacts. That's why Carson Wentz, everywhere he goes, seems to have the worst offensive line. Uh, because, you know, it's, again, the offensive line can, can certainly inhibit your ability. But, again, you know, the, the quarterback is the one making the decisions with the ball. And, uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen players like Carson – sort of make the wrong decisions a lot of times and it seems like the bad luck just follows him everywhere and sometimes the bad luck is just you <laughs> you're the problem shout out taylor swift um yes. <laughs> you know it is fascinating you bring up Carson Wentz, like how effective the eagles offensive line was in front of him and then you see how much better they are now like we knew the eagles offensive line was like a top three offensive line in football for years now for you know ever since it's been this kind of core of you know Mylotta slash Jason Peters you know before Peters left you have Isaac Samal Kelsey uh you know insert right guard here now it's Landon Dickerson obviously and then Lane Johnson 
it's fascinating, like how good they were in 2017, 2018, and even 2019. But now seeing how much better they are without Carson Wentz behind them and having a quarterback that does have kind of that like structural awareness of what a defense is throwing at you is pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, th- I think this Eagles team is really well-rounded. And you know, I, I think in a year where there doesn't really seem to be you know, a true like juggernaut. You know, I, I don't think even the Eagles are like flawless. I think, you know, there are still questions to be answered about this team, about the coaching staff, about Jalen Hurts and the playoffs, whether people want to hear that or not. I, I, you know, I'm sorry, but it's just after that Tampa Bay performance last year, the playoffs where, you know, like, let's, let's just be real. You know, that was a God awful performance. And yes, the lights came on and the stars shine bright. Right. You know, and I, I think too, you know, Philly's had the athletes that, you know, once that looked great in the regular season, and then once teams really plan specifically for you, and again, you have to make the big plays, we've seen that go wrong. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Jalen Hurts, I, right. you know, but I'm just saying that's a question that has not been answered yet. Um, it's just generally around the league. I don't know that any team is perfect. I, I, I really don't see – you know, the Bills just cannot get out of their own way with injuries, right? They just get very unlucky with these untimely injuries. Uh, but they still look good. You know, they still a strong team. The Chiefs – um, it feels like so much is dependent on Patrick Mahomes, you know, like, and I'm not sure defensively how sound that team is. That's been an issue for them for the last like two or three years. Like those are the, those are the big competitors of the AFC. The AFC has some very obvious flaws, you know, outside of the Eagles, the 49ers of Brock Purdy, uh, everything about that team is so good <laughs> except for the quarterback. But even then he's been serviceable. He's been, he's been fine as a quarterback so far. It's just, you know, what do you do with the rookie? When does that catch up to you? Right. Exactly. And I, I, I feel like, but you know, is the rest of that team good enough that, yeah, right. you know, like, they, like, and I think they might be, you know, and, and the Cowboys, we already talked about their weaknesses, you know, like those are the, those are the, the five teams right now that I look at and think in terms of like Super Bowl, And then you yeah. have the Bengals too, which, which sneakily might actually yes. be just the best team in football right now. I, I don't know. Um, they're up there. They're a team. I would not take any pleasure in playing those six teams. I, I would say are, are, Super Bowl contenders, truly, at this stage of the season. Um, I don't know what order you want to put them in, but, you know, I, I could see any of those six making a Super Bowl, and then, you know, from that logic, you're obviously a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. Like, yeah, because really, we know really we know the Vikings are frauds, too. Like, that that was proven right. even in the most ridiculous comeback fashion, the, the biggest comeback in NFL history. Like, you're not going to be able to come back from being down 33 nothing in the postseason. Like, that just doesn't happen. And if the Vikings face that, there's no shot that they're able to overcome that again. And like we mentioned last week, they're almost like Buffalo Bills light. Like, their quarterback's not as good, and Dalvin Cook has not been Dalvin Cook this year. Plain and simple. Like, if you can't run the ball in the postseason effectively to kind of get your passing game going, you're not going to be very successful. And I think that's a big benefit for the Eagles this year is that Miles Sanders just figured out how to run forward, which is massive. Um, So, I mean... I, I I think I agree with the six teams you listed off there. Uh, and I think I like would say that the biggest threats in the NFL to go to the Super Bowl right now would be the Eagles and the Bengals. Yeah, Bengals have shown time and time again that they can go into Kansas City and win too. You know, I, I think we kind of looked at them, and I, I'm guilty of this too. I think a lot of people did. Looked at them last year and felt like there was just a little bit of variance that went the right way, which it has to happen. You know, you like they're – there's naturally going to be a little bit of luck in any sport, you know, that has to kind of just bounce your way. Um, 
But, you know, they, they went into some tough places. They went into Kansas City and won and were able to really shut that offense down during the game. And, and since then, too, this season, they went into Kansas City and, and got a victory. You know, like, I just think they're a very good team. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of talent defensively. They seem to really uh, know how to just, like, work teams down. And I, I think, again, you like, they've they've been in those moments. I mean, you know, as much as we love the Bills and Josh Allen, right? Like, they haven't been in that Super Bowl right now. Josh Allen played and the Bills played, I think, offensively, one of the best games I've ever seen in my life in that uh, NFC, AFC semifinal game last year, right? Um, it was unfortunate that the Chiefs just happened to also play maybe the other best offensive game I've ever seen, at least in terms of just, like, you know, what they were able to do, their execution uh, throughout the game. And, you know, I at the end of the day, though, Joe Burrow and these Bengals – beat them you know like it, that, that's just that's just the reality and I just think I, I look at that team and I look at the last like month and a half and I think that's a team I would not take a lot of pleasure in playing and I, I think could certainly could certainly make life difficult for, for lots of teams but yeah I, I think too like whoever gets that that whoever has the first seed in the AFC I think just has a massive advantage I, I think I really do because I think all three of those teams the Bengals Chiefs and Bills do have a distinct home field advantage and I do think it, it really matters. I think it really matters. And I know that it just said the Bengals can go into Arrowhead and win, but I do think it, it just is a difference. It is a difference if you're having to go away to Buffalo and play in like negative 10 degrees and potential snow, right? Like, or having to go to Cincinnati. Like, I just think that 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 matters, I would say, almost more than the NFC. I, I feel like the NFC teams, I'm, I'm less into the idea of like, you have to be at home for this. I think for the Cowboys, it might actually work better if they have <laughs> no home playoff games. Um, it's just because that place seems to be kind of cursed for them in terms of performances there. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I am looking forward to seeing how the AFC shakes out uh, just because I think I do feel like it's an AFC year. I feel like whoever comes out of the AFC is certainly going to be favored in the Super Bowl just because I think all all three of those teams, I would say the Eagles are in a similar tier as them. I But I, I do feel that there's like, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just my perception. I just feel like all three of those in a matchup with the Eagles are probably – I think maybe the Eagles would be favored over the Bengals, mm-hmm. but I would say – But not by much. But not by much, maybe like a point or two. I, I think, though, the Chiefs definitely would, and I think the Bills probably would be favored over the Eagles in the Super Bowl, in my in, in my view. Yeah, and before we, we keep the NFL discussion rolling, uh, this episode of Underground Sports Philadelphia, it's brought to you by our awesome merch partners, PHI Apparel Company. Uh, guys, there's no doubt in my mind, in Matt's mind, or anybody that works for our company's mind, uh, that you're going to stand out, go into your your favorite team's games, whether it's at the Wells Fargo Center, the Link, Citizens Bank Park, uh, Subaru Park, wherever it may be, you're going to stand out in the crowd. When you're rocking your merch from PHI Apparel Company, they're the best in the game. The official Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast merch is on their website as well. They're our official merch partners. And when you guys use code UNDERGROUND at phiapparel.co, you get 10% off any apparel order. It's the best way to gear up for the new year. So go to phiapparel.co, use code UNDERGROUND for 10% off your merch. It's the most effective and direct way to support everything we're doing here at Underground Sports. Uh, so go get your merch, phiapparel.co, code underground for 10% off. And Matt, I don't know if there's been over the past, like, I feel like it's been a while that there are multiple games down the stretch here that actually mean something in the NFL. Like week 17 is going to be 
crazy in the AFC because we get January 2nd, 8.30 p.m. primetime in Cincinnati, Bills Bengals. Yeah. You know that, that, and I was just talking about uh, you know the the tests that we have to face and and all that, and um, you know that was in the back of my mind too. Is, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot about both those teams, and I think again, you know, talk about implications for for playoffs. You know that's that's a big picture there. You know, and I just think um, I think for me, you know, like I, I see a lot of these games. Like you have in week eighteen, you have the uh, Titans and Jaguars. You know that could very very likely be for the division. You know, Titans Cowboys this coming Thursday is what like not this Thursday but next Thursday right right I mean well this Thursday you have the Jags Jets you know which is again both those teams really need to win to keep their their playoff hopes alive um, yeah I think the NFL is kind of like <laughs> backwards walked into some really uh, interesting matchups here down the end right like um, you have the Lions and Panthers both of those teams kind of Still just need alive. to win out to to have a, a shot at the playoffs. Um, you know, and I, I just think, yeah, like you've you've got a lot of really interesting matchups. I feel I don't feel bad for the NFL ever, you know, because like whatever. But um, I do feel bad for them because I feel like they looked at like Christmas Day schedule and they're like, the Packers Dolphins I think is always going to be like somewhat interesting. Two very storied teams, but you have the Broncos and Rams, which in the preseason looked like you know, well that's the two number one seeds. That could have been Bengals Bills, right? Like you know, like that's like just an amazing game, and then like Bucks Cardinals, and you think, wow, you know, like. Tom Brady, Kyler Murray, like this is going to be a great, and it's, you know, <laughs> I, it's going to be like Trace McSorley against uh, Tom Brady, who should, definitely should have retired and yeah. definitely should not have divorced his wife. Um, but yeah, I think you've got a lot of like really good matchups uh, down the way. And I think, you know, we've had some games not mean as much. I mean, in the final week, too, you might have Ravens, Bengals, which could be for the division, you know, as well. Uh, although the Ravens have really fallen off, but, you know, a game that could still really matter. Um, you have Jets, Dolphins. That could be a game that's that's deciding you know the sixth or seventh seed in the AFC, depending on the uh, the next few weeks go. Like everywhere you look, Buccaneers, Falcons. That could decide the division. You know that could be who uh, where Dallas is heading to Atlanta or Tampa Bay. Like there's there's a lot of good stuff here left in the last few weeks. And there's some big uh, big fun time implications if you're an Eagles fan uh, or if you're an AFC fan. I don't know if you saw the news today that broke. Jeff Saturday named Old Saint Nick, Nick Foles, the starting quarterback Monday night against the Chargers uh, in Indianapolis. And who do the Colts happen to play, Matt, in Week 17 to start off 2023? The New York Football Giants. It's just all part of the master plan, isn't it? Um, it's all coming together. Yeah, shout out to Jeff Saturday for uh, just – Doing the, so I actually, I, I, I found this. So, like, not only does he take over for Frank Reich, I did not know this. Uh, Frank Reich previously was part of the team that had the record for the biggest comeback in NFL history in the 90s. Um, so Jeff Saturday took not just his job, but by blowing this game, also took a very impressive record, right? Like, if you quarterback your team to the biggest comeback ever, like, that's, Frank Reich, that's something to hang your hat on no matter what. Um that was well, the Music City Miracle, right? I I think I, I don't – I'd heard this on a podcast. I was like, there's no way that, that Jeff Saturday has just taken everything from Frank Reich. Uh, I think it was when he played for the Bills. I think it was even a playoff game. Yeah, it was earlier. Game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a playoff game. It was 1992. Which is just like – I don't know what I don't know what Frank Reich did to Jeff Saturday, but I, uh, I it's hard not to feel a little bad for the guy. A little hard done, but – 
Turns out pulling be... someone off the ESPN set for the first half. I don't know. You know, and I got to say too. Uh, shout out to Dylan, one of your uh, one of your other co-hosts. We we played in fans. He he beat me pretty soundly this week. And that honestly was not very close. My team really limped into the playoffs, but um, he has he had Kirk Cousins and I had a wedding, and I was watching the first half. And you know we left for the wedding, and I felt really good. I think Cousins had like a point at halftime. Yeah. I was like, man, if it goes like this, I gotta I gotta decent. I mean, I had to play Daniel Jones, you know, like so. I was like, I you know I can use all the help I could get in a quarterback matchup, um, you know. Get to the, get to the ceremony and then you know like whatever don't have your phone for a while and I check my phone and I I thought I got like spiked with something because I look at my phone and it's thirty nine thirty six uh, Vikings and Kirk Cousins has like thirty four points and I'm like well that's had fun playing fantasy I you know I I threw in the towel early uh, Sunday evening I texted like hey the game was like we had tons of players left but there's just no shots like you know good luck in the next round I'm rooting for you you know. <laughs> Oh man, uh, yeah. I mean, down the stretch, this this NFL season is going to be a lot of fun. And I mean, the the New Year's Day game for the Eagles has a lot of implications, just with you know the way the Saints have been winning games recently. You know, you want to knock them down a peg again to make sure you get the the best possible draft pick out of them. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. But Eagles Cowboys is going to be one hell of a night on uh, Christmas Eve, four twenty five on Saturday. Make sure you guys are following us for all of the updates on that. But, Matt, let's switch from the gridiron to the baseball diamond. Uh, we put a poll out earlier today. Just to, I just kind of wanted to garner the thoughts of our, our listeners and our followers. Uh, it's brought to you by our friends at Kenwood Beer, the Kennytime Anytime Poll of the Week. You guys can go to KenwoodBeer.com uh, and use that all-new and improved Kenny tracker to see who's got Kenwood Beer on tap in the Philadelphia area. You can get it at the Wells Fargo Center now. Big Kenny's available at the Farg, uh, you got to be 21 or older to do so. And, of course, please drink responsibly. Matt, the Kenny Time Anytime Poll of the Week. Do the Mets scare you after the news late last night into the early morning? Carlos Correa says, I'm going to Frank Gore, the San Francisco Giants, and uh, I'm going to actually go sign with the New York Mets for 12 years, $315 million, while Steve Cohen gets the deal done on a beach in Hawaii. Uh, I thought, you know, just like you, where you thought your drink was spiked, I thought I was still dreaming that when I woke up and saw the graphic from an official MLB account that Carlos Correa was going to the Mets when just last week we we're like, hey, at least Correa didn't go to the Mets. Um, he's going to the Mets. They're moving him to third base. And I was just, I was stunned. I, I, Truly a, a robbery of a free agent. Uh, I knew something was afoot yesterday when the Giants were just like, yeah, the press conference has been postponed. And no further details about it, but what were your uh, initial reactions to Carlos Correa now in the NL East? And if he thought things were bad, you know, as a member of the Houston Astros, you pile that on top of you're wearing a New York Mets jersey, can't wait for him to get to Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, I, I saw like a report yesterday that uh, the deal was being held because of like a, a physical issue, and that's at the root of this. Is there was, and it seems like there's just a disagreement too between the Giants felt that there was some medical issue that arose during his physical that was a red flag for them, and there was a disagreement between the parties, and you know I, I guess you know end up walking away from the deal. Um, we've seen this happen before. Uh, in baseball and in other sports, 
uh, it's not common, of course. You know, like I, I just think a lot of times too, we expect these guys are in top. The physical always seems like just like ah, you know, like check the box, whatever. But like you know, you're making a a, a decade long commitment, hundreds of millions of dollars. You do want to make sure that the the guy that you're paying all that money to is is going to have like a fulfill a lot of that career. Um, you know, it's 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 tough saying. You know, right? We don't we don't know what the issue is here, right? And and we don't know what kind of risk the Mets are potentially taking on. Um, it it felt like. If they're comfortable with it, I don't know. I will say this. The expectation has now never been higher for the Mets. Um, you spend this kind of money, you know, you you damn sure better get it right. Uh, and it feels a little bit like, you know, we knew that they were going to be spending money over these few years and then building up the farm system, become a little more self-sustaining while still spending money occasionally. But, you know, it's a lot of money to lay out. Almost <laughs> a billion dollars in free agent contracts now. And he's, I know Steve Cohn is, is rich, and that's fine. I'm not going to cry over him spending his money right. because fine. But I do think, like, hey, you know, like you, I just think it's a hard position to find yourself in. You know, like, and it, it's, I think you can be the line between just spending a lot of money and now, like, you're expected to win a World Series when you have this. And I know that, you know, the owner doesn't care, the players don't care, whatever. But, like, there is going to be this, this expectation for the fans, especially where, you know, you go out and, and, and sign Verlander and now you've signed Perea, you know, you've sort of stolen him off. I, you give Nimmo that giant contract, like, right. Like, I just think, you, you know, sign the biggest eh, international free agent pitcher. I still feel the same way that I feel about the Mets every offseason, which is we'll talk to you in September. Exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, listen, I, I just, it's, it's a good signing in a vacuum, right? Like if you can add Carlos Correa to your team, regardless of any of the the outside stuff, and, and he's a good player. But it would give me a lot of pause hearing that you know another team looked at something in his physical report and and backed away from the deal. Uh, you know, and the, the Giants too, by the way. I mean, it's not like they had this amazing offseason, and he was sort of the he was the. I don't want to call him this because I think, but you know, he's the consolation prize. If we're being honest, you know, they they really wanted to get Aaron Judge, and did not get that deal over the line. And it really felt like Carlos Correa was sort of like, well, we weren't able to get any other big guys that we wanted. This, you know, this is a good spot for us. You know, we we lost Rodon. Let's let's get some like talent in the door, and then just kind of see where we're at. And you know, it's it's not easy for decision for them to just walk away from this deal. So it had to have been, in their minds at least, something meaningful. I mean, this is a team, too, like Carlos Rodon, right? Like, goes to the Yankees, signs a big deal. This is a guy coming in here that had injury concerns, too. And they were willing to take at least the flyer on him. I you know, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. I think the Giants maybe are, maybe they're smart. Maybe they, they have a good trading staff and, and saw something that really, really spooked them. Yeah, it, it blew my mind. And, of course, Twitter was uh, a blaze. And our, our Kenny Time, Anytime poll of the week, like I said, do the Mets scare you? As of right now, two-thirds of our voters, Matt, agree with us. We're not scared of the Mets. The Mets are going to Met. They're going to do what they do every year. They're overcompensating for winning 101 games and getting knocked out in the wild card round. And they're doing all of this just to have that happen again. Uh, I did see a very funny tweet, though, uh, in terms of funny to us, not funny to this person. At uh, CM McGuire on Twitter which this doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it says that they're in New Jersey, but they are a fan of the Atlanta Braves. 
Please make that make sense to me. Um, tweet here this morning. I'm not sure why the Phillies are in these conversations about the NL East. The Phillies are not better right now than the Mets or Braves on paper. I know this is going to end up bookmarked by a lot, uh, but a lot would have to go wrong for the Mets and Braves and right for the Phillies for them to win the division. Am I saying the Phillies are going to win the division? Probably not. But to say that they're not in the conversation for the NL East after what they've done this offseason, which has just been improving areas they needed to improve upon, is lunacy to me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think that there's just a lot of, like, weird... People really hung on to the fact that the Phillies were, like, an 87 team and they made the run and whatever. But I think even at the moment, it was like, well, they, you're forgetting that the first month and a half of the season was completely lost by a manager that ended up getting fired. The team's like, dread. if you just take that team, and we've just repeated it so many times, but I, I really think it bears repeating because people have really lost sight of this. The team was on, like, a 100-win pace. And was, again, you know, like, if you think, like, we spotted the Mets so many wins in April and May, even if just half of those get turned, I mean, it's just, it's a completely different story within the division. You're right. You know, there's no guarantee that the Phillies are going to win this division. And largely speaking, the Braves have dominated it over my lifetime. But I think it's more competitive than it has certainly been. I, I feel much more confident this year that they're at least, the Phillies are a, Again, a contender within the division. I would still have the Braves as the favorite, but you know, it's not like the Braves have massively improved over the offseason, right? They've arguably gotten worse. Right. You could certainly make that case. There's plenty of offseason left. They can still make moves, right? But and the Braves will just like clone some dude and sign him for uh, 17 years, $31 million. Like That's just how they do. But yeah, I, I, think it's, I, I think it's a little presumptuous to say that the Phillies are not in the conversation. After, the, you know, by the way, too, they handle the Braves very well, not even just in the playoffs. Largely speaking, we're very competitive against the Braves uh, during the regular season. And again, the, the 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 record against the Mets is very skewed because of the bad performance uh, of this team in the April and May uh, part of the year. They didn't play them well the rest of the season. I wasn't like I was actually a little worried about potentially. I would if you maybe choose, and this is obviously hindsight talking, but even in the time, I think I would have said I'd, I think I'd rather play the Braves just because the Phillies have played them better. I, I tweeted that well, back in August. I said I'd rather well they match up with the Mets, but I, I still think I, I see the Phillies as you know they're an outside favorite, but they could win a division. Sure. Yeah, I tweeted I back a in lot August. Has to go wrong for the Braves and the Mets for that to happen. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't find that to be true. I tweeted back in August that I needed the Braves to win the division so that the Mets could get clowned in the wild card round and or the first round against the Dodgers, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. Uh, and not like you know. Sure, the Braves went and got, you know, a, a brand new catcher, but they traded a guy who has given headaches to everybody in the division and Contreras. He's now gone, and you're bringing in a new guy who has chemistry with your first baseman. Okay, cool. Uh, and as far as I know, the Braves have not improved their pitching staff whatsoever. It's pretty much the same guys running it back that they had last year. They lost Kenley Jansen at the back of the bullpen. And that's been the biggest, you know, question mark about the Braves is that they don't really have pitching. Their pitching got clowned in the postseason. Spencer Strider was, you know, everybody's darling baby. And the Phillies absolutely teed off on him in the postseason. The Braves pitching doesn't scare me. It's mostly their lineup that can go toe-to-toe with the Phillies because they have a bunch of guys that can hit. But to say the Phillies are out of the mix, and, you know, you bring up 
Joe Girardi being here for the first month and a half of the season, two months. Let's also not forget the one place we vastly improved this post this uh, offseason at shortstop. The first two months of the season, we were trotting the corpse of Didi Gregorius out there. Yeah, I again, I just <laughs> like, I think a lot of that has been lost to uh, to the sands of time here when we're, when we're talking about the Philly team and the change that they went through the course of the season and now again to some of the some of the spots that were very tough for the Phillies last year. I think have been definitely improved. Um, and again, I, I think there's a lot of areas you can expect this Phillies team. I you know. 87 wins feels like kind of the floor for this team now going into the year. You know, like I, I would be, I think a lot of things would have to go wrong for them to have lower than that. I think you'd have to have some, you know, uh, bigger injuries. You know, we're obviously going to be missing Bryce for a large chunk of the season, but outside of that, I think this is still a roster that can get you to 90 wins and above. I, I do believe that. Yeah. And you got to think Castellanos is going to, you know, bounce back and be a better player overall than what he was last year. You're going to have a full year of Brandon Marsh in center field rather than number 37 out there and trotting other guys out there that aren't traditional center fielders. Like, you're going to have Kyle Schwarber not leading off your your lineup when you're hitting. Like, you're going to have Trey Turner to kind of set the table, and that's going to improve the offense vastly. Like, there's so many changes in the field and offensively that this Phillies team has made to make them a better team. And then let's also add on to Ranger Suarez as a guy. He's going to be your number three starter. You signed Taiwan Walker to to be in this rotation. So now you have a, a big four of, you know, certified, very good to elite starting pitchers. You're potentially going to have your number one prospect at the back of the rotation who is like the next coming of Randy Johnson just in terms of like measurements because the kid is six foot seven. And then you got you have guys that are going to get an opportunity to play because Bryce is out like Derek Hall. He's probably going to, you know, be in the mix to be your DH to start the year uh, while you trot Castellanos out there most of the time in right field. And you're going to get an opportunity to look at some guys in spring training because it's a World Baseball Classic year. You know, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, and JT are going to be out for most of spring training playing for Team USA. So you're going to have a chance to look at some of these younger guys as well and kind of see who's in the mix if you need guys to get called up. And then you add it to your bullpen with Matt Strom so far. I think what this Phillies offseason has been has been wildly successful. And I quote tweeted that tweet and I said, that's why they play the games on the field and not on a spreadsheet. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think this, this team is good. And I, I think yeah. there, there's, again, you talk about the young players too. There's, there's room for improvement still. And Cassianos too, I know like struggled, but he also had an injury down the stretch that I think really bothered him. And, uh, led to a, probably a, a not great performance in the playoffs. You expect that, you know, he's, he's healthy coming in the year. You know, he, he could have a bounce back season. So um, I think there's a lot of areas that this Phillies team could improve. Yeah, 100%. And I think, like, I know a lot of people said after the World Series, like, this might have just been a blip on the radar for this Phillies team. Like, this is not, like, a sustained success thing that they're going to build upon or, like, the start of something. You look at what this offseason has brought. The Phillies just extended a bunch of their front office people again through 2025, including Sam Fold, which I think is huge. Dave Dombrowski is going to be here through 2027. I think those moves can't go understated. You have a manager in place now that the players love. And, I mean, I think now looking at how this offseason is shaken out, like this World Series run that the Phillies had, you know, last postseason – 
I think kind of jettison them into thinking like, okay, like we can build upon this. This isn't just, you know, a one, one time thing. Like this can be the foundation for us as a franchise to get back to where we were during that run of 07 to 11. Will it be as dominant? Who knows? But I think this is a, an opportunity for the Phillies as a franchise to really like assert themselves and really be in the mix now for years to come because they, they got that taste of success and now they know as a team. And th this is something that you and I talked about too when they were going out and signing all of these free agents to kind of plug and play into holes that they needed to fill. They hadn't won as a unit. Like these guys had won collectively, you know, in different places. But now that they've, you know, tasted that that opportunity of winning, they have a banner for, you know, being the 2022 NL champions that's going to fly at Citizens Bank Park until the end of time. This team now knows what it's like to win as a unit, win as a team. And that's what a bunch of these free agents who have come in have said at their press conferences. Like, watching the Phillies play during the postseason was something that intrigued them about coming here and really, like, solidified why they chose the Phillies. Yeah, I, I think, too, like, you know, we, we felt that there was something really significant about just making the playoffs again and what that could do for this team. And I think you're seeing some of that fruit being bared here. You know, like, I, I don't know, can we talk about it so much about making the playoffs and how important it was and, you know, what that could mean for spending money this offseason. And, you know, we know Trey Turner, and it could just be lip service, but we know that he said the playoff atmosphere was uh, uh, at least part of the, the reason he wanted to come here. Um you know, if we don't make the playoffs, is that necessarily, you know, the truth? I, I don't know. Do you end up with Dansby Swanson if you don't make the playoffs? Like, that's one of those things that is one of those fun, you know, what-if situations, but you, you don't really know what happens if this team doesn't get in. If this team doesn't fire Joe Girardi at the beginning of June, you know, what really happens, you know? There's so much that goes into it, and now, also on top of that, you're going to have a full season of su sustained, like, playoff success and experience for your young guys that are part of this core in Brandon Marsh, in Bryson Stott, Alec Bohm, like the daycare group of guys now know what it's like to win and they're going to get a full season being on this roster, not having to bounce back between, you know, the minors and, and the majors like they were early in the season because Joe Girardi didn't know how to manage, you know, younger guys being in the lineup. I think that's also going to be an understated aspect of this 2023 Philly season is like Bryson Sott and Alec Boehm and Brandon Marsh, even though he was brought in, you know, mid season, like those are three young core pieces that are going to be very important for the sustained success of the Phillies organization for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think too, like they've got this good farm system now too, at least like there's a few, like there's two or three prospects that you expect in the next year could make the jump and that's big. Um, yeah, you guys like, like Bryson Stott, who his rookie year was playing very well in the playoffs. Brandon Marsh, too, right? Like, you, you acquire him and uh, you know, the, what he could develop into, one of the youngest players on the roster, funnily enough. You know, and uh, we've seen defensively how good he can be, and we see him have some big moments in the playoffs. So there, there's, like, a lot to to grow here still, too. You know, outside of the big money signings, you do have that good, like, bedrock of some four guys, at least, right? Hundred percent, and I think that's what's exciting about the the potential of this Phillies team is like you now know what you have. I think for a lot of years now, you didn't really know what the Phillies had 
on the surface level. Like you knew you knew some pieces, like obviously Bryce, you bring in Zach Wheeler, but now you kind of know like who is a, a foundation piece and who is a building block of this team to really bring them back to being a perennial postseason team that's showing up in the playoffs year in and year out, whether it's winning the division, getting in as a wild card, like you kind of know who the faces of this team are going to be now for this era of Phillies baseball. And I think that helps a lot in terms of just getting people down to Citizens Bank Park. You know, those weird, you know, July midweek games where it seemed like the park was empty. I doubt it's going to be like that this year. Now you kind of know the faces. People have kind of gained attachments to different players. And I think that the this postseason run did a lot more than just, you know, on-field stuff for the Phillies. It did a lot for the fans. It did a lot for just, you know, what this era of Phillies baseball can really be. I think it set the ground floor for what Citizens Bank Park as a, you know, a vibe is going to be like for the next five, seven, ten years. Yeah, it definitely reinvigorated, I think, a lot of the fans that had maybe been away and can't blame them. You know, when the, the team had just been in such disrepair for seven, eight years, it's hard to be engaged still with the team when, when they're in that shape. And, you know, the last few years especially they've had some late season collapses and, you know, sometimes some unlikable attitudes and characters uh, within the group too. So um, I think it did a lot for, you know, where this team is, is headed forward. You're right. Like, I think it reset, I think, a little bit of, of people's minds. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like, the Sixers, you know, were like the team on the come up for a while and they sort of like, you know, faltered a little bit at least in like public opinion and perception but now you know the phillies have, have really risen again to, to be like you know one of the one of the teams that i think people are really fascinated to see again i think you know not that you're going to get back to the the sellout numbers you were getting but i do think attendance will be back like you'll have a lot of that atmosphere back that you, you lost in in the mid 2010s 100 percent. so all that to say Fuck the Mets. We're not afraid of them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of the Sixers, though, uh, and it's brought to you by our friends at Tomahawk Shades, the best small badge eyewear in the game. You guys can go to TomahawkShades.com, get your sunglasses, your blue light glasses, and if you are like our good friend Dom Ponteri and love to get that fresh powder, they've got the Tomahawk Shades uh, ski and snow goggles available now. And you can use our code USP at checkout for 25% off at TomahawkShades.com. That's code USP for 25% off at TomahawkShades.com. Matt, are the Sixers back? Five in a row. They they win arguably one of the most head-scratching, eye-gouging-out wins of the year on Monday night against the Raptors in overtime. Uh, Tobias Harris wants everyone to know he's a sharpshooter and, uh, the Sixers have now won five straight. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of a, a return to form. Um, I was going to keep echoing what I think I've been saying so much about the Sixers this year, where a cool, uh, talk to me in May when they're crushing my heart again, uh, because doctor was just not the coach of this team. I will say Tobias this year, uh, has had a little bit of a different feel to him. And I think is really, especially to, you know, where the money has gotten so big in the NBA, where his contract doesn't look, it's still a bad contract. It doesn't look as bad as it, it did like two years ago, uh, just when you consider how, how much the cap is going up and projected to go up. So um, winning five straight is good. They've, they've been a weird team all season, though, where they've strung together four or five wins 
and then we'll sandwich that between two like three straight or four straight losses you know like it's they've been a very uh, hot and cold team some of that again has, has had to do with injury and not having guys available a little worried about maxi uh because the timeline has really gotten murky with him on when he'll be back and i i think you know this sixers team once you come playoff time is really gonna need him and the fact that you know does not seem clear at all when he'll be returning is is concerning to me um you know, and, and obviously, too, you know, for us, the season really starts this Sunday on Christmas <laughs> when, uh, you know, it, it actually feels like the game starts to matter a little more once you turn the corner into, like, January, February. But um, they, this is all a part of their ploy just to get us really bought back in and just to, to crush our spirits again. Yeah. Um, I mean, gutsy win against the Raptors. I'll give them that. Like, that is a win that... I think nine times out of 10, they somehow find a way to lose with Doc Rivers at the helm, but somehow figured out a way to win that game. And looking at the rest of December, like you get the Pistons uh, tonight. Uh, if you're watching live on Wednesday tonight uh, at home, Clippers at home on Friday, Knicks at the garden on Christmas day, Tuesday at Washington, uh, December 30th at new Orleans, and then new year's Eve at the thunder manageable rest of December, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Um, even, you know, the Christmas Day game, like you said, against the Knicks is not uh, a gauntlet, you know, but we'll see. We'll see how the, <laughs> see how the Sixers manage to ruin Christmas uh, for us, especially it's even a nice Eagles win you feel you feel pretty good about. And then, you know, just uh, all comes crashing down. But, yeah, you'd expect them to close out the month pretty well, especially again to be compared to the start of the year, what November looked like for this team. Um, it's certainly a better position, but it's it. They've just been such a weird team for me this year to really uh, to really care a lot about, and they've just had some some terrible losses that uh, you know have really just just ruined the whole vibe, you know. Yeah, but don't look now. Sixers are a game back of the four seed. Uh... <laughs> Don't worry, I won't look. <laughs> I pretend not to see. Um, all that to uh, bring up, Matt, our holiday wish list. Uh, obviously, Christmas right around the corner, Hanukkah underway. Happy Hanukkah to everybody who celebrates. Kwanzaa right around the corner as well. Festivus. Uh, I figure we go through our Philly sports teams and uh, Sansa Championship because obviously that's what we want for all of our teams. Uh, figure out what we want to put on our holiday wish list for all of the Philly sports teams. So uh, I figure we'll start with the Eagles, because they are the most successful right now. Matt, if you had uh, one thing for your Eagles wish list, what would it be? Uh, Jalen Hurts to be healthy. <laughs> Jalen Hurts to be fully healthy going to the playoffs. That's, that's what we want. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take that one step further, him be healthy so that Jalen ends up winning the MVP. I think he deserves it. He deserves that recognition. And, uh, I think a lot of people would be eating a ton of crow for the takes they've had on Jalen Hurts over the past couple of years and him, you know, coming out from college into the NFL. And, uh, it would be fun to see Jalen kind of, you know, have that MVP trophy in his hand. So I'm going to say Jalen wins the MVP. Uh, Matt, for the Philadelphia Phillies, 
uh, that Bryce has a very quick recovery timeline. And, <laughs> yeah, because I, I think they want to win the division if they want to have another really nice playoff run again. A lot of that is going to depend on Bryce getting back to, to full standard. Uh, my wish list for the Phillies. Nick Castellanos has the biggest double middle finger bounce back season. Not only for the vibes, not only for this team to ultimately be successful, but because he's our guy. And we've been fans of Nick Castellanos since before he got to the Phillies. And uh, the Castellanos family listens to this show. So uh, for Nick to have a bounce back season, get all the haters off his back, and then you know everyone kind of fully embrace him like they did throughout the postseason with the big catches he was making. And you, know, you kind of started to see him turn in that corner a bit. Nick getting back to the Nick Castellanos we all know and love would be huge for this Phillies team and almost like a, another free agent acquisition uh, going into 2023. So a Nick Castellanos bounce back is my uh, my Phillies wish there. Uh, Matt for the Philadelphia 76ers. Fire Doug Rivers. Uh <laughs> Don't feel great about my wish being about someone losing their job, but he's a multimillionaire. He can, he can, he'll be all Plenty right. of golf rounds in Doc Rivers' future. Um, it's a long shot. I don't feel great about this one either. Get out of the second round. Just get out of the second round. You want to pull us back in and, you know, have your master plan come to fruition? Get out of the second round. Um, that's what I want the Sixers to do this holiday season. And uh, the next one, I'll move to the Philadelphia Union. What would you like to see from the Union this holiday season? This, uh, you know, I got to see what this, uh, what this their jersey's looking like. I, you know, sooner rather than later. Let me see. Let me see it. I would like to see it. Show it quickly to me, expeditiously. Um, for the Union. What do I want to see? This one's a little little uh, selfish and personal. I want to see myself at Subaru Park for my first Union game. Never been. Got to make it happen. The home schedule just dropped, and it's looking very delicious in terms of who's going to be coming to Subaru Park. Uh, so I'm going to say that uh, I want to see myself at Subaru Park for a Union game. Matt, your Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, uh, move. <laughs> um, I want them to make better choices. I want them. I want them to make better choices. Um, for the Flyers, man. I'll just piggyback. I'm just gonna figure it out. Just figure it out. Just get your shit together. Get it, all, it all in, in a backpack. <laughs> and get it together. Uh, and Matt, I know you're not the biggest lacrosse guy, uh, but for the Philadelphia Wings, they are team number six, I would say, in terms of just the, the wide populace uh, and probably the most beloved team right now playing in the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, what would you like to see for... Uh, the Philadelphia Wings. I'd like to see them win a championship. That's what I would like to see. I'll I be right there goal. with you. 
Um, for the Wings, I would like them to share their expertise on winning and being a successful organization with the other two tenants of the Wells Fargo Center and let them know, as Rocky once gave us a fantastic quote, show us how winning is done. Uh, so I'm going to say the Philadelphia Wings to just have a meeting of the minds with the, the Sixers and the Flyers on how to win. Um, so there it is. That is our holiday wish list for our six teams there in the uh, in the Philadelphia stratosphere. Matt, any thoughts on the uh, the Union home schedule like I brought up too? Uh, they dropped that recently. Looks like a fun home schedule, and uh, it's right around the corner. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest one that I was looking for was obviously when L.A. was coming to town. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the chance for some redemption. Um, I got to say, home game at night in February, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that is an approach. But you know what? We'll get through it. We will, uh, we will get through it. But that could be a very cold, very cold opening to the season. Right there on the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's tough. Someone but, get a uh, space heater for the sons of Ben. Yes, several. <laughs> uh, shout out to the union. And uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show, we'll be talking the Survivor 43 finale on next week's show. And uh, just anxiously awaiting season 44, which uh, starts March 1st. And very excited about that. And uh, hopefully in that time frame, we can find a way to get Survivor superstar Tyson Apostle on the show now that he is... Uh, Tomahawk Shades athlete with uh, his pickleball endeavors. Would love to have Tyson on the show, so trying to work that out. And uh, did you know he's hosting a podcast with Boston Rob? Uh, I knew he was doing another podcast uh, through the ringer, actually. Yeah. Because I heard his voice one day doing an ad read. I was like, that sounds a lot like Tyson. And then it was. Um, I did not know he was co-hosting one with Boston Rob, though. Yeah, I think it's, like, separate from the ringer. It's, like, their own thing, but they're just, like, talking life and, like... Just being best buds. Sky being dudes. Uh, so shout out to Tyson. Would love to have you on the show going into the new year. But we'll be back next week. Everybody enjoy your holiday. Christmas, Festivus, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Boxing Day, whatever you choose to celebrate or not celebrate. But everybody have a happy and safe holiday season. And uh, enjoy the Eagles whooping down on the Dallas Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Big thank you to you guys for listening as well really helps uh us continue to grow and you know sharing with your people so appreciate each and every one of you guys but make sure you're following us at underground phi twitter and instagram facebook.com slash underground sports phi uh follow matt on twitter at matt castarina follow me at kbizzl311 subscribe to the podcast feed on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast leave those five star reviews on apple it really does help the show grow, gets more ears and eyes on the show as well. And uh, subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. Uh, we are 19 subscribers away from our end-of-year goal of getting to 350. Looking to go live on YouTube soon for shows as well, so once we hit these milestones and can make that happen, we'll let you know. But it's YouTube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. Smash that like button, ring the bell icon, comment down below your philadelphia holiday wish lists and uh your thoughts on everything matt and i discussed on this show today 
Big thank you to our sponsors, Maine Auto LLC, Security 21 Security Systems, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And of course, get your merch at phiapparel.co, PHI Apparel Company. It's the most effective and direct way to support everything Matt and I are doing and all of our podcasts are doing here at Underground Sports. Uh, use code UNDERGROUND for 10% off your order at phiapparel.co. This has been episode number 492 of Underground Sports Philadelphia. Want that World Cup talk, that World Cup recap messy on top of the world. Toppins will be live at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night and available wherever you get your podcasts uh, going into Thursday morning. So make sure you check out the Toppins boys later on tonight. And uh, until then, for Matt, I'm KB. Everybody enjoy your holiday, and we will see you next time. Peace. Champions.